You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Tuesday edition of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez here, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Some top stories today. A pair of local kids return to LSU in Jawan Johnson and Logan Diggs. We will talk about each prospect and what they bring to Brian Kelly's football team will also continue to look at the NCAA softball regionals. Both Louisiana and LSU headed to the Baton Rouge Regional this weekend at Tiger Park. We'll also get to the Houston Astros picking up a big 6-4 win over the Chicago Cubs last night. And much more here in today's edition of Crunch Time. Let's bring in my producer and co-host now, Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Tuesday. How are you? I'm doing good. What's crack a lacking with you, Matt? No. <laughs> like not not even a little bit. No. What are you doing? Trying to vibe. Trying to vibe. Oh, buddy. Don't and don't kill it. Come on. Oh just go along. Oh, buddy. Okay. Are you chilling like a villain? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Glad to hear it. <laughs> Let's start with the LSU news. Lafayette Christian star Jawan Johnson, previously committed to Deion Sanders in Colorado, announced that his recruitment was back open and then announced yesterday that he was staying home and he will attend LSU. James, Jawan is a guy that can really do it all. You know, plays quarterback at, at LCA has been recruited as a defensive back hell could probably play wide receiver right it's kind of like that spice spice Adams bit where he was like he was doing taste mill where it's like play quarterback receiver running back right. offensive line defensive line cornerback safety kicker punter there's, long snapper there, there's there's not going to be much that the, the young man can't do uh so a good pickup for Brian Kelly. And then earlier today, Logan Diggs, a former Rummel Raider, he is returning to LSU. So two years ago when he went up to South Bend, who was the head coach? Brian Kelly. He stays at Notre Dame for his sophomore season, doesn't go quite the way he expects it to, enters the transfer portal, and who does he commit to once again? Brian Kelly. Kelly. Come on back down, dog. Come on. And this kid is special. In a room that has a lot of questions to answer with injuries and off-the-field issues and things of that nature, he is a special player. In the 2022 season, he had 821 yards on the ground and four touchdowns. His longest run of the season was a 51-yard run against Boston College. He also had 10 catches for 211 yards and two receiving touchdowns 
including a 75-yard touchdown reception in the Gator Bowl. So the guy can do it all. Which again, in a running back room where there are some questions to answer, he feels like a guy that could come in into an offense that he already knows and have success. Right, and he's also a guy that has some solid hands and could be a safety valve for Jane Daniels if he needs to dump it off. A six foot, two hundred and fourteen pound junior out of Booty, Louisiana, by way of Archbishop Rummel High School. It's a good get for LSU. Juwan Johnson as well. Um, going to be a, a good season in in Baton Rouge. The expectations just kind of continue to rise a little bit. I mean, look, Jawan Johnson still has another year at Lafayette Christian. He's not going to be on campus in Baton Rouge till next May. But the expectation for 2023 is rising. Jaden Daniels is now being thrown around in the Heisman conversation. You bring in a guy like Logan Diggs. You bring in Aaron Anderson from Alabama. Malik Neighbors is back to lead the receiving core. Kyron Lacey developed a lot over the offseason. You still have a killer offensive line. You still have a great front four on the defensive line. LSU could really make some things happen in, in 2023, which is exciting to think about. But looking at some top stories just in the world of sports outside of Louisiana. How about Doc Rivers getting fired by the 76ers after their Game 7 loss to the Boston Celtics? Rivers spent three seasons in Philadelphia, and he was 154-82 and in his three seasons, but really struggled in the playoffs with Milwaukee. I mean, with Philadelphia, excuse me. So Doc Rivers, which coming off of his 16th straight winning season as a head coach, this was his 10th time losing in a Game 7, including each of his last five. His teams have struggled in the playoffs. This is the ninth straight time that Rivers has had the chance to reach the conference finals and has failed to do so. James, could this be the end of the road in a career for a guy like Doc Rivers? As a head coach? Yeah. No, I, I think there's st- I think there could still be an opportunity for him in a couple of different places in this coming up year couple of years down the line. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to be maybe an assistant head coach somewhere, but I think we've seen it before with other coaches where it's like they still end up getting more chances down the road. So I wouldn't say with Doc, who even though his record isn't great, you could see him go to a team that maybe doesn't get the head coach that they wanted, but they're struggling, but it's like they know Doc Rivers is good enough to take them and elevate them enough to maybe get to a playoffs. So at that point, you could see him getting a job there. But he's definitely got a cap. I I just, 
my my question when I look at Doc's resume, and it's, it's not that it's a it's a bad one, right? Because he's got a five ninety win percentage in the regular season as, as a head coach, but his numbers in the playoffs are concerning. He got the one title in Boston. Mm-hmm. Yep. But since then, what's he done? Not a lot. Right, because the last time in 2009, the the 9 10 season, he went to the Eastern Conference. Correct. He was the Eastern Conference champion. So but, he went to the NBA Finals, but right. didn't win it. Right. And then went to the Clippers and had Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and did nothing. Then you go to the Sixers, and you've got Joel Embiid, James Harden, a young buck in Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, on and on and on. And you do nothing. I mean, look, regular season wins are great. It's fine and dandy. But if you can't deliver when it matters, you're not going to keep your job. And point proven. Right, because it's like, look, you go to the playoffs a bunch of times. You have a nice winning record as a coach. But if you're the Sixers and your aspiration is to get to the NBA Finals and finally break that streak of not going there and pretty much the best you can do is only get to the second round, you're only going to get to the second round enough to where you've had enough and you want to move on from the guy and you go try and do someone, go somewhere else because this was probably the best chance for the Sixers this year with MVP Joel Embiid, James Harden, who specifically took a pay cut so that way they can get other guys. Correct. You've still got Tobias Harris, which at times he's fallen off and has kind of disappeared in games, but is a solid contributor. Doesn't really feel like he does enough for the contract he's had, but still having also a young star in Tyrese Maxey blossom for you feels like and some solid depth pieces to be able to go get House and others off the bench and Melton. Correct. It felt like it should have been enough. But it still wasn't because they ended up losing in the second round and they had the opportunity to take it from the Celtics in game six. And failed to do And something. then they failed in the fourth quarter. Jason Tatum goes for 16. Outscore- he outscores the Sixers as a team. And then they still had another chance. It was back and forth in the first half. Celtics were only up three. And then in the third quarter, it all falls apart. Speaking of guys taking pay cuts to make their team better, tying this back into a local story, Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow is in discussions for a long-term contract extension with the Cincinnati Bengals. But in his first media availability of the new season, it appears that Burrow would be willing to not take as high of a contract in order for his teammates around him to also be paid. Oh, the Tom Brady effect. Whenever you have guys on the team that need to be paid, that's always on your mind. You want that to be the focal point, and we're working to make that happen. Does that mean... Could they keep both T. Higgins and Jamar Chase? Yeah, because you still got Tyler Boyd for a little little bit longer, but... Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are coming up in coming off season, so it's like if you had to sign Joe to an absolutely massive extension to try and make him the highest paid ever and eclipse Jalen Hurts, well then you wouldn't be able to get both because if they're both that talented and both pretty much at the top of their position, you wouldn't be able to get both. You'd have to make a sacrifice, but if he takes the pay cut, 
you being able to potentially get both of them or well, still stick with one and go get some other guys that are younger on the defense or on the offensive line. Quote from T. Higgins, the three of us talk about staying together for the long run. Hopefully we can do that and get something negotiated to where they can keep all three of us. And then Jamar Chase said, he knows what he has to do to win, and he wants to win. Speaking about Joe Burrow. Right. Uh, Chase is not eligible for a new deal until next offseason. So keep that in mind. Uh, he's a winning guy. He's not just a quarterback that's always interested in money and all the other stuff. He just wants to win, and that's the big thing people like about Joe. So, with Jamar Chase not being eligible for a deal until next offseason, couldn't you lock up Joe and Higgins now? And then worry about Chase next year? Would That would make it a little easier, too. Kind of see where, you, where you're at with the cap. Because, yeah. I mean, obviously you have to have the money on hand and able to in order to be able to sign the deal. But having an offseason to prepare for a third contract extension rather than having to do all three of them at once... Just feels like it would be a lot easier for the franchise to do it that way. Uh, so if I'm if I'm Cincinnati, I'm looking to lock up Burrow and Higgins right now. Four fifteen, take a time out here. We got a great show lined up for you today. Jay Walker is going to join us at four thirty. Noah Frary at the top of hour number two to talk about the NCAA softball regionals. And Brett Chancey is going to join us for a special edition of To the Moon right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, the game 1037 Lafayette on 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score a brand new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, flat screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 420 here on a Tuesday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Fresh off their series sweep of Texas State over the weekend, head coach Matt Deggs met with the media yesterday and gave his thoughts on the three-in-one week that included a late-inning loss to Louisiana Tech. Just on the week, Tuesday was forgettable. Uh, coming off a great weekend at ULM, we were still very offensive on Tuesday at Tech. And, uh, you know, the same song, second verse, take a lead, spit it up, have to come back down. We were down 6-2, got to come all the way back. Now we're up 8-6, spit it up again, and really wasn't happy after that game. Uh, you know, I really feel like, with some health and a short up bullpen, we're at 40 wins already. And uh, that, that kind of magnified all of that. Uh, you know, we, we 
we had a, a tough talk after that game, and the guys responded this past weekend with what I understand is the first time we swept Texas State, is what I was told yesterday. Uh, and that's a good ball club, but I thought we got a great pitching performance from from Nezu, and and then again from Fluno, and then from you know most of the entire bullpen yesterday. Uh, the job that David Christie and and Rawls did out the bullpen uh, was phenomenal. The biggest key to our sweep this weekend was uh, they never got a big hit. I, don't, I, I can't name a, a huge two-out knock or a runner at third, less than two, a big spot of them driving in a run. We were able to strand their runners all weekend, and then we scored a lot of runs with two outs uh, on the weekend. Look, you know, obviously head coach Matt Dagg said that Tuesday night against Louisiana Tech was forgettable, but let's look at the big picture. In their last seven games, James, they're 6-1. and one including six straight conference wins. That's big. And now you're rolling into the final conference series of the weekend against one of the top teams in the conference in Southern Miss, who, by the way, their head coach Scott Berry announced today that he would be retiring at the end of the season after 23 seasons at the helm of the Golden Eagles. Ooh, that makes it even more tough now because you got some extra motivation to be like, hey, let's end the regular season in the season on a high note for coach. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and look, you know, Scott Barry's done an incredible job with Southern Miss. Look, you look at this season, they're 35 and 15. They're 20 and 7 in the Sun Belt Conference. And they are not going to take this game, this three game series against the Cajuns Thursday, Friday, and Saturday very lightly. I can tell you that right now. They are on a major win streak. They've won their last 13 games, James. So, if you're the Cajuns, you've got to find some way to thwart this momentum. To slow it down, to hinder it, whatever phrase you want to use. You've got to walk into their park, which we talked about it yesterday, is going to be a crazy atmosphere. With wild fans that are going to let you have it for nine innings. Because even before they joined the Sun Belt, there was a rivalry between the Cajuns and the Eagles. Right. So now that they're, it's a conference series, it's going to be even worse. They will let you have it for nine innings. Um, it's going to be a big weekend for the Cajuns on the baseball diamond. It's going to be a bigger weekend on the softball diamond uh, as they head to Baton Rouge for the LSU Regional. But head coach Matt Deggs continued to talk about the sweep over Texas State and just how monumental it was for his team. Great question, Jamarcus, because I thought yesterday was the absolute key to everything for the entire year. And to be honest with you, our play initially, and we had to meet up in the fourth or fifth, whenever we scored six runs, we had met up that inning. And I told him, you know, do you want me to be honest with you? And obviously they said yes. And I said, well, most of the time I am, and I'm not going to sugarcoat this. We look like a team that's satisfied right now with two out of three. And that's not what this program stands for. That's not what the people that built this thing and played before us stand for. And we need to get it going right now. And because the importance of that game is 17 wins, to your point, I believe is a big number. Uh, based on the matchups that are going to go down this weekend. I may be wrong. 
but uh, I believe that's a big number. And uh, like I said, we need to work to win the game that we're in. Uh, obviously, Southern Miss is a very, very good team, a great coach team, and uh, they've got a lot of older players on that team that know how to play and know how to win. Uh, it'll be a tough environment, but we've done well on the road. We're, we're used to playing, uh, you know, we won at LSU. Uh, this team's not going to get awed by anything. We've just got to stick to what works, and that's good starting pitching. Okay, continue to play great defense. We lead the league in defense and play our game offensively, fast, hard, and loose, and, and see what happens. Uh, but yesterday's sweep was key, uh, in my opinion, because it was like winning a game next week. If you look at when, when we flip over to softball now, the regional this weekend in Baton Rouge, the Cajuns are going to start this series at 2 o'clock Friday afternoon against Omaha, a team that is very good in their own right. Uh, they are going to be a team that is excited to be in the NCAA tournament. They are well coached. They are a good team. They have a great pitcher. Uh, she, she's close to top 10 in the country in terms of strikeouts on the season. And it's just going to be one of those games where the Cajuns are going to get tested early. Cameron, May Cameron Meyer is actually fifth in strikeouts in the country, 266 strikeouts on the season. Of course, Montana Fouts leads that category with 311 in 40 appearances. But head coach Jerry Glasgow gave his thoughts on the regional matchups, including their first-round game with Omaha. If you're not going to be at home, that's the closest you can be. When you drive across the basin, what, 45 miles, and we'll be um, at a place we're familiar with, a great competitive school uh, hosting LSU, and I'm thrilled. I'm just I'm really tickled, you know, to – have that challenge in front of us and in that location. It's just, it's as good as you can do and not be at home. And, and I'm sure our fans will turn out in huge numbers. Our kids are really excited about the um, challenge ahead. And so it starts with Omaha. That's where I'm at. I was, I, as soon as the show was over, I watched film to way up in the morning. They've got an outstanding pitcher. She's extremely good against right-hand hitters. I think right-hand hitters have hit 145 against her. She's averaged 10 and a half strikeouts a game. Um, she's good. Uh, lefties hit a little bit better. They hit 240 against her. They played, you know, they split with Iowa. They played competitive games against Texas. Um, they beat Iowa State. They they played some really good RPI teams. Central Arkansas one to nothing. They're they're going to be a formidable opponent in round one, which is really good because you're going to have a formidable opponent from now on, and that that gets us awake. And we're going to have to really compete hard. They're outstanding coach. Uh, they 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 make plays. Um, their coach is no travel ball coach, and those guys are dangerous. Um, they know how to win, and he's he's doing a tremendous job with the athletes he's got there. Elaborating on the athletes that he has in Omaha, we talked about the pitcher that is fifth in the country in strikeouts in Cameron Meyer, and head coach Jerry Glasgow talked about the pitcher that his offense would be facing Friday afternoon. Uh, rise ball, curveball, um, and I would say Kander Lamb would be a really good example 
Um, that's who I kept thinking. Like she's just like Kendra Lamb. Uh, when I watched her, she she goes up. She throws 67, 68 at times. Um, moves the ball around. Um, so that that was a pitcher. Um, that kind of remind me the most of. She throws harder than Lackey. Um, similar in size. Um, you could make a comparison probably to Lackey. Um, as close as anybody in our conference that I can think of. Look, you know, when you, you're discussing a pitcher on the opposition and the two comparisons that you can come up with are Kendra Lamb and Olivia Lackey, you know she's going to be a dangerous pitcher for this Cajuns offense. And lastly, Coach Glasgow talked about his team needs to be locked in and they can't look ahead to a potential matchup with LSU. Yeah, I think that that's my job and that's our coaching staff's job just to keep them in the moment. And the moment uh, has to go through Omaha. You know, it, it has to be – there's no there's no future if you don't get through that game. And that'll be our job and we'll, we'll, we'll focus on that and we'll do that. And then I think for that to happen with our players, it has to happen with our, our coaches. And I, I, I know that, um, you know, I'm going to have the best scouting reporter there of the season on this game ready when we get to uh, Friday at, what, 2. So our players will do what we do. They'll reflect off us. They'll feed off us. And uh, I'm all in on our Omaha. 4.30, almost 4.31 on your Tuesday. Let's do Cajuns Corner a couple days early with the Cajuns baseball series against Southern Miss being on Thursday. Jay Walker is going to join us right after this timeout to talk about that series with Southern Miss and the softball regional in Baton Rouge right here on the game. Going deep downfield, he's got a receiver, it's caught! Touchdown, Louisiana! Can't get enough of the vermilion and white? Then you're in luck. Here is the Cajuns Corner with the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker, on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Jay Walker, happy Tuesday, sir. How are you? Well... I'm okay. I'm 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 still a little. My feelings got hurt a while ago. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I I went to uh, I went to a place in town because I wanted something that had to do with ice cream, and I pulled up and I pushed the button, and 15 minutes later I left with no ice cream, mm-hmm. and my feelings are hurt. Dang, that's that's terrible, Jay. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I know. Um, all right, well, let's talk about some, some good news. Let's talk about Cajuns baseball winning six of their last seven, including a three-game sweep over Texas State over the weekend. Look, obviously on paper you can tell how big that series sweep was, but from your perspective, talk about that sweep and what it did for this team. Well, I you know, I think when you ask a question like that, there are two answers. I mean, how how did it do for them – standings are concerned and then how did it do for them psychologically and i think both are positives um cajuns are sitting now at 17 and 10 and you know your goal is to make it into the top three if you get one win this weekend you're going to make it into the top three and you conceivably could make it i said top three top six is your goal and you can be in the top six even if you don't win this weekend so it it did it was huge for him as far as the standings are concerned but you know i also think that 
it did it, it 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 did good things for their confidence as well. I mean, it's one thing to go sweep ULM, no disrespect to them, and then another thing to sweep a Texas State team that had been playing really good baseball and had um, had won a, you know their last couple three series and you know they were they were right there you know challenging maybe for uh, for second place in the league and you know the Cajuns you know, went out and swept them and. I think, you know, really made a statement in all three games when you get right down to it. Yeah, you know, when you look at the way that they played, it, it feels like they played almost complete baseball. I mean, pitching was solid. Your offense delivered. I mean, I, I, I didn't really see any miscues this weekend, Jay. Well, on Sunday, they did walk eight and hit two. Okay. And that many times has been a recipe for taking a loss. However... Texas State returned the favor, and they bunched their walks and hit batsmen where the Cajuns spread theirs out a little bit, and that enabled the Cajuns to have that big six-run inning uh, on Sunday to, uh, you know, to go ahead and, and, and get the three-game sweep. But you know, other other than that, I thought uh, I thought the pitching staff did a very good job. Uh, the Cajuns played typical elite defense, which is what they do game in and game out. And, you know, Matt Deggs made a, a, a very pertinent comment today, I think, talking about the reputation that the Cajuns have now. Because if you go back and break down that game, you know, you had a uh, pickoff throw to first base that went down the right field line. You had a, uh, a couple of uh, stolen bases where the ball got thrown into center field. You had a pickoff play at second where the ball went into center field. And you saw uh, players uh, – you know, rushing throws and, and doing things uh, when the Cajuns put the ball in play. Well, the Cajuns have that reputation now, and they've earned it. And part of that's because they've stolen 155 bases. Uh, and so now the scouting report on this team is be careful because they're going to run. They're going to get guys into scoring position. So you got to hold runners. And if you're not good at holding runners, that's hard to do. And then you've got to, you know, you've got to hurry up, get rid of the ball if they hit a ground ball. And I think what the Cajuns did to Texas State was they speeded them up. And um, and I don't think they liked that very much. And and I think that it had a great deal to do with winning three games this weekend. Look, I think Matt Deggs has this offense the way he wants it now, Matt. He, um, you know, and it's been this way for, I don't know, probably about the last 12 games or so. And it started with that game against Northwestern State, and it's kind of gone since then. I mean, he's got a lineup that he believes in. He's, he's running the same nine guys out there every day now. And you see them making contributions one through nine. They're barreling up baseballs. They're hitting balls in the gaps. And, you know, they're over 100 doubles now on the season. And so I, I think he's got the offense where he wants it now. And – now and of course the defense has been there all year long, and you know now you got to get what you can out of that pitching staff and go from there. Chatting with Jay Walker, the voice of the Cajuns here for Cajuns Corner. Now you've got three games left in the regular season, Jay, and they're going to head to Hattiesburg to take on Southern Miss. You know, a really good second place team here in the Sun Belt. And you know when you look at the Eagles, there's always, or at least for the last couple of years, there's been a strong rivalry here between Louisiana and Southern Miss. Do you think that the fact that this is going to be the first time 
they play each other as members of the same conference. Could could that amp it up to to an extra level? Yeah, wait wait until you see the crowds at Pete Taylor Park this weekend. You know they 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 lead the league in attendance, and you know like just at Teakmore Field, you know you'll announce thirty nine hundred, and you might have eight hundred in the stands or whatever, maybe a thousand people on on some of those days. Well, the same thing is true at Pete Taylor Park, but they're averaging over five thousand a game, and because they they basically sold out their whole season uh, of home games, had so many season ticket requests. Uh, but I but I. I got a feeling that most of those folks are showing up this weekend. So you're going to have a great atmosphere for college baseball. It will be a super regional atmosphere. Um, and you're going to see two teams get after each other. You know, they, they played each other the last two years. Uh, and, you know, with exception of, of, um, of one blowout on a, on a Friday night in Hattiesburg, all of the games have been very, very close. So, uh, I think that I think that uh, both teams are going to be ready to strap it on, and I think the fan bases will too. Do you think there's any extra motivation from Southern Miss following the announcement today of Scott Barry's impending retirement at the end of the 2023 season to to maybe finish his final regular season off the right way? Well, you know, he's going to say, "Guys, don't make it about me," and, and they're going to say, "BS, we're going to make it all about you." Um, you know, Scott Barry's loved in Hattiesburg, kind of like what Tony Robichaux was loved in Lafayette. I mean, they, they, Scott Berry is just incredibly well-liked uh, over at, uh, over at Southern Miss and um, his, his, his players love him. And yeah, they're going to do everything they can to make sure that his final homestand is a, is a good one. So yeah, I, sure. I think there's extra motivation. I, I, you know, they, they'd be, You'd have to take their pulse because they'd be dead if they didn't react to that. I mean, you know, that's this is going to be sure. an emotional weekend, I think, for them. All right, Jay, let's go to the other diamond now. Let's talk softball. Baton Rouge Regional, uh, the road to Oklahoma City starts with Omaha at 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Uh, you know, Jerry Glasgow's team obviously coming off of their fourth straight Sunbelt Conference title, 18th tournament title in school history. You know, what, what's the mindset of this group as they head into another regional in Baton Rouge? I think they're pissed off, if you'll pardon the way I, I put it. Um, look, they were not happy Sunday night. No, they when, weren't. When they, when they found out that they were not going to be hosting. All right, so I think this team's going to have a serious chip on its shoulder when, when they walk into Tiger Park on, uh, on Friday to take on Omaha and then you know, hopefully Saturday against the host school. Um, they're not happy, and and I think you know they're they're a team I think that's going to be very very focused going in and and have a little chip on their shoulder wanting to prove something. Now, this is a team that's going in there that you know when you fill out a lineup card, it's almost all freshmen and sophomores. Now, of course, you got Carly Heath out there, and I think you know one one junior out there as well. But you know for the for the most part, these are these are some young pups. Uh, and, and you've got, you know, senior pitchers, uh, plus Sam Landry, who pitches like a senior cause she's really good. Um, so they're going to have to overcome uh, a couple of things, I think because of their youth, but, but I think this is a team that's, that's going to go in ready to play. Now I, I maintain that you'd rather host. I don't care if you're a 16 seed, you'd rather host. Because you can't get to a super regional if you don't win a regional, 
And the best way to win a regional is to host one. Um, there's an average of about one per year that a, that a, that a host doesn't win. So this is not going to be an easy task at all. Um, we'll see what happens. I, um, you know, I, I think even if they were to win this regional and get to a super, um, I still, I still maintain that you absolutely want to host if you possibly can. And, and quite honestly, I think they got screwed out of it. And I think that, uh, what you're going to see, continue to see is you're going to see these committees continue to, um, to, 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 to move, you know, move the, like this year it was okay. Well, you didn't have a very good record against the top 25, although you played, what, 12 games against them. Well, the next year, if you go and you're 3-3 three and three and play 500 ball games, well, you didn't play enough games against You understand what I'm saying? Yep. They, Absolutely. They're looking for a reason to not let you host if you're not one Absolutely. of the uh, four, four top uh, or five, four, four top uh, conferences in America. They're looking for reasons to not give it to you. Yeah, I mean, I, and that's going to continue. I, I had a softball bracketologist on the show yesterday, and I and, and he talked about that exact thing. You know, every year the major metric that they look at is something different. You know, last yep. year it was it was RPI. This year it was top twenty-five wins. He said next year you never know what it could be. Um, and and that's exactly what he pointed out is that they look at the same metrics every year, but they weigh one more than the others. Yes, and um, so we'll you know we'll we'll see as time goes by. I um, I was very disappointed for them, and like I said, I I, I know they're going to go to Baton Rouge with a chip on their shoulder, but this regional would be easier to win if it was in at Lamson Park. I'm just saying. Do you think that it is a winnable regional for the Cajuns? Yes, um, you know they've already shown uh, that they can that they can beat LSU in Baton Rouge because they've already done it. Uh, I think that helps a little bit. You know, the Tigers have had um, had the Cajuns number in regional play the last several times they've gone over there. But, you know, at least from a program history standpoint, you can say, okay, they've gone there and they've won a regional there before. They've won a couple of three of them, I think. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think they'll go in there thinking they can win because they already have. Jay Walker, the voice of the Cajuns, joining us here on Crunch Time. Jay, enjoy the weekend in Hattiesburg. Uh, enjoy following the Cajun softball team in Baton Rouge because I know you will be. And uh, we'll do it again next week. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Go Cajuns. And there he goes, the voice of the Cajuns. Jay Walker, we'll take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one. We've got some exciting news for you right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Riding coasters, live music, and fried fair food. The Cajun Heartland State Fair is back, and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is giving away family family packs of ride tickets. Text CHSF to 337-283-8100 for a chance to win a family pack of tickets. That's 80 tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome, May 25th to June 4th, brought to you by The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. This is Crunch Time.
Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time, wrapping up hour number one here in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day on Twitter and Facebook. Who do you think is going to reach the conference finals in the NBA? Do you think it's going to be Lakers versus Heat as our finals? Do you think it's going to be Nuggets versus Heat as the finals? Lakers-Celtics, a historic rivalry? Or do you think it's going to be the Nuggets and the Celtics? I think it's going to be Nuggets and the Celtics. And apparently most of you agree as well. At just about 60% saying that. 19% lead towards Nuggets-Heat. About 5% are saying Lakers heat, a rematch of the bubble finals. And then the final, about 17% are leaning towards Lakers Celtics. So, realistically, I think it's going to be Nuggets Celtics. That Yeah, that, that's However, what it feels like. However, do not count out the Lakers. There's a part of me that feels like the NBA is slightly rigged. So you're and saying... Is there a better storyline than <laughs> Lakers Celtics? Uh... I can't really think no. of any off top. <laughs> no, no, there's not. Um, so don't be surprised if that is the NBA Finals matchup. Right, and it's funny because a few people in the comments, like Ralph, are saying, I'll drop this nugget. There's an NBA championship at the end of the rainbow. Luck of the Irish, Celtics over Denver in six. Ooh. All right. Mr. Green, this was, this was a good one. You'll enjoy this one. You misspelled NHL and got the teams wrong, but I digress. Nuggets heat, heat in seven. Hmm. Spicy take. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it either. Now, you know what else I'm not mad at, Matt? What's that? We've got some news. Yeah, we I'm, do. I'm, a lot of people have found out at this point, but I mean, if you're just now keeping up, like you're just now finding out, we're, we've been a CBS affiliate for a long time now. And we are now will be transitioning at the end of June, June 26th, to be an ESPN affiliate. Correct. Which is huge. It is. It's a great opportunity. You're going to be able to hear the MLB All-Star Game, the NFL Draft, the NBA college Draft, college football, Monday Night Football, all of it. The NBA Finals. It's going to be great. From not only a national programming perspective, but also from a local programming perspective. Correct. So, every weekday, new morning show, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the national ESPN morning show on ESPN Radio. They'll be handling it from 5 to 9, as they always do. From 9 to 11, Kevin Foote and Footnotes. No change there. A new midday show from 11 to 1, RP3, D'Lo, and Mesh. With Raymond Parsons III, Dawson Iserlo, and James Mesh. One to three, Jordy Holtberg show. Not going anywhere, just moving an hour up. 11, 11 to one. That's what I said. 11 to one. Uh, I could have sworn you, whatever. And then one to three, the Jordy Holtberg show. Just moving up an hour. Mm-hmm. And then from three to six, this is the big one. Mm-hmm. This, is, this, is what, this is really nice. LAB Award winner Matt Moscona. And after further review, are coming to Lafayette and Lake Charles on ESPN 1037 Lafayette and 1041 in Lake Charles. 
which you will be able to hear from the Texas state line all the way over to Lobdell, Baton Rouge. But I know what you're probably thinking. What does all of this mean for me? Hmm, I wouldn't worry about that. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not. You're not losing me that easily. <laughs> you're not. I might not be on the air, but you're not going to lose me that easily. As often, I will be around. We are working on a great plan for me, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We will get to that in the coming days and coming weeks. But until then, we've got until June 23rd, me and James, with crunch time from 4 to 6 right here on the game. And then beginning on June 26th, again, ESPN 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We're super excited about this new change. We're super excited to bring you even greater local content and really pushing this station to the next level. But our number one is in the books. Our number two, we're going to kick it off with our guy Noah Frary talking softball regionals and the Sun Belt tournament. And then, of course, we'll go to the moon this time with our guy Brett Chancy, H Town Wheelhouse himself, right here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's hour number two of Crunch Time right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. In hour number one, we talked about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. We also talked about the LSU Tigers. And we looked at the NBA with the news of Doc Rivers' firing. Here in hour number two, we're going to do To the Moon, talking about the Houston Astros taking down the Chicago Cubs last night 6-4. to four. But right now... Let's talk with a guy who was on the play-by-play call for the Sun Belt Softball Championships this past weekend at Lampson Park in Lafayette, covering the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to a fourth straight Sun Belt Conference title. He's also here to talk about the NCAA Softball Regionals, Mr. Noah Freire. Noah, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, Matt. How are you? Always good to uh, join the program. So let's start with this past weekend. You know, one of the better Sunbelt softball tournaments that I can remember. I mean, every game was close. There was drama everywhere you looked. Great pitching, great offense when teams needed it. You know, what, what did you see out of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament? Yeah, I think everything you just said. I mean, me and my partner, uh, Dorian Kraft, she did the analyst work uh, for the tournament. We continue to just marvel about how the, the Sunbelt is continuing to grow as a conference, particularly in softball. And you know, to your point, every single one of those games were close. We went into that tournament thinking, hey, maybe we'd see one or two offensive, you know, blowouts. And we just never saw that. Uh, and really, you know, for the second straight year, we saw pitching just dominate uh, the conference tournament. But, you know, to the point that you made earlier on, that was the best Sunbelt tournament that we have seen in years. Uh, I give a lot of credit to the Marshall Thundering Herd. They played uh, some excellent games. They took out South Alabama and they took uh, Louisiana to the wire in that championship game. But 
so much talent there. I, you know, I also want to give a shout out to the defense. I mean, we saw Maya Davis make some outstanding plays in center field for the Raging Cajuns. We saw some more outstanding defense really throughout the tournament uh, from South Alabama and others. So, really, it was just a complete tournament and probably one of the best that the conference has seen in years. Yeah, you know, you talked about Marshall. Uh, Megan Smith-Lyon has done a phenomenal job with the Thundering Herd. Autumn Owen, Triple Crown winner behind the plate. Sydney Nestor in the circle. That championship game was really I- incredible, especially when you look at the two pitchers. You know, Nestor had a, a great performance as well, only giving up that one run. But, man, Sam Landry, a complete game, one hitter with 11 strikeouts as a sophomore. Yeah, I mean, I'll get to Sam Landry in a minute, but I'll give Marshall some props, too, as well. They came into that tournament knowing that they were playing for their lives. There was no path for them to get into the NCAA tournament uh, without winning the conference tournament. They had the great record, program uh, record, 45 wins this year, but the non-conference schedule really hurt them, which is in stark contrast to what Louisiana did this year. But they gave them quite the fight. But, yeah, Sam Landry has just continued to show in early on in her career that when you throw her in the biggest games of the year, she will always come through. She's now 4-0 in Sunbelt Conference tournament games uh, and just put together a gem there. I think one of my biggest memories from that entire tournament was watching her strike out the last four batters in that championship game, including the side uh, in that final inning against Marshall. She was dominant in both of her starts, and she's the reason why that I would not be surprised to see Louisiana play themselves out of that Baton Rouge regional where they're matched up with LSU uh, this weekend. Yeah, let, you know, let's talk about that regional. LSU, Louisiana, Omaha, and, and Prairie View A&M, the Cajuns' first matchup is with Omaha Friday afternoon. Cameron Meyer is the pitcher for Omaha. She's currently fifth in the nation in strikeouts, but she's facing a really good offense in Louisiana, you know how how can the Cajuns battle with a pitcher that that strikes out a lot of a lot of batters? Yeah, I would say the same way that they battled Sydney Nestor in the championship game, the same way that they battled Jessica Mullins in the Sun Belt semifinals. Uh, this Cajuns offense is so deep, and they have the ability to beat you in so many ways. I mean, just in the Sun Belt Conference tournament, we saw them play small ball. We saw plays like or players like Sophie Piscos hit the long ball. So. Uh, Jerry Glasgow's offense is so interchangeable, and they have the way to score runs even against elite pitching. So to me, that isn't going to be much of a test. I expect to see Louisiana beat Omaha. I would expect to see LSU take down Prairie View A&M. And I would really expect to see a matchup of those two. And, and, and Matt, you might remember back during the regular season, those two teams go one and one against each other. Uh, this has been the premier matchup. And you have a Raging Cajuns team going into that regional. I think they have a chip on their shoulder. We talked about it all tournament long. They had the resume to be a host. I think they certainly thought that they were going to be a host. I think they're a little bit upset that they're having to travel north to play uh, LSU in Baton Rouge. Uh, so look for a hungry Cajuns team to come out of that. Jerry Glasgow told us before the tournament that this team is better than last year's team that went to the regional final against Clemson. It will not surprise me to see Louisiana coming out of that Baton Rouge uh, regional this weekend. Chatting with Noah Freire here on Crunch Time. Another Sunbelt school that made the NCAA tournament was a little surprised to see Texas State get in. Uh, you know, n- not to knock what they did this year. They had a great season. Obviously, uh, R- Ricky Woodward, a great head coach. And then you've got Jessica Mullins in the circle, Sarah Vanderford, Hannah Earls. But 
again, you know, the, the conversation all weekend long was the Cajuns were only going to have one bid. Yeah, it was it was definitely fascinating, and I know you know right after the championship game, I, I had sent out a tweet, and I, it was kind of a controversial take, and I said, you know, Marshall's not getting in now because of the loss of the championship game. I felt like South Alabama had an interesting resume, but they just didn't do enough um, in terms of non-conference scheduling. They did have a win over Auburn, but it was never going to be enough to get them into the tournament. I think that was a little bit controversial for people. Um, and then you look at a team like Troy, who also didn't get in, but then you bounce all the way down to Texas State, and I said I felt like Texas State had an interesting case, and part of the reason for that is early season wins against Alabama, wins against Texas, uh, other strong performances in the non-conference, and then a good showing uh, down in Lafayette this past week. Um, Ricky Woodard's team has shown the ability to take down top-ranked teams. It might be controversial because they were fifth in the league, but um, if they hadn't gone through some injuries, some struggles uh, during the season, this would have been a top two or three team in the conference. So I certainly felt like that was a deserving bid, and they've already beaten Texas once this year. Can they do it again in a regional? Uh, I think that's definitely a possibility for Texas State. Now, Noah, you know, looking at the rest of the regional field, obviously I know that those are the only two uh, Sunbelt teams in the mix, but are there any other regional matchups that jump out to you? I mean, I know you talked about South Alabama. They nearly got in if it wasn't for Notre Dame. Uh, what other regionals stand out? Yeah, I think the Clemson regional, I mean, I'm, I'm about 45 minutes from Clemson. Uh, that one's particularly interesting because – uh, Clemson's also matched up with Auburn in that regional for the second year in a row. Um, I think either of those, either of those teams could get out of that regional. Uh, their reward, though, for getting out of that regional is to play one of the most dominant teams in college softball this year in Oklahoma. Uh, the Durham regional could be interesting as well. I would expect Duke to get out of that. Uh, I'm really interested as well, the Tuscaloosa regional. Um, you've got an Alabama team that a lot of people felt like maybe was not deserving of being as high as number five uh, because of some of their late-season struggles. Uh, they also lost Montana Fouts due to injury in the SEC tournament. Um, so certainly it will be interesting to see how much they have her. But they're going to be going up against the Central Arkansas team that has been really good this season. Um, and so I think that one could be interesting. And then, you know, people who, you know, are keeping an eye out, you'll want to keep an eye out on the Seattle Regional as well, where Washington, Minnesota, uh, Northern Colorado and McNeese State will be in that regional because that's who would match up uh, with the eventual winner of the Baton Rouge uh, regional that probably would be either uh, Louisiana or LSU. So there's a lot of intrigue this year. I think this um, NCAA Women College World Series will be a lot of fun, a lot of great softball over the next couple of days, and certainly I'm uh, looking forward to watching some of it this weekend. Were you surprised to see you, – you brought up McNeese. Were you surprised to see the Cowgirls – get flown out from Lake Charles all the way up to Seattle? Yeah, I mean, that stuff happens all the time. Uh, there were several other of those uh, that happened as well. I mean, the NCAA, they, they, they love to get as many regional matchups as possible, but it's not always possible to, to do that. We've seen a team like Liberty who gets flown all the way out west to Los Angeles to match up against UCLA. So some of those things happen, um, but, you know, it's kind of just the ebbs and flows. Fortunately for McNeese State, they'll get to fly uh, you know, out to Seattle, and that should be a fun trip for them as they get out of, um, you know, they get out to Seattle. And then lastly, Noah, you know, I, I know you're a New York Yankees fan. I'll forgive you for that. Um, you know, give me give me your thoughts on the the pinstripes so far this year, 24-19 to start the season. 
Yeah, it's been miserable to be a Yankees fan. Uh, as we were waiting for the intro to this, I was listening to you guys talk about the, uh, you know, the Astros picking up a win. Uh, I hate the Astros, so I'll just put that on record. Um, but yeah, it's been a disappointing season uh, so far for the Yankees. They've dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, they had a lot of high expectations. I had high expectations uh, for them heading into the season, but they're currently sitting in that wild card spot. They're going to get guys like Carlos Rodon back uh, and others, and so I would expect them to turn it around. They always have the ability to go make a deal at the trade deadline. So I certainly wouldn't count the Yankees out. I know I'm not, but uh, as a New York Yankees fan that follows the team, I've definitely uh, been disappointed uh, with how they have started the season. Noah, there is room on the Astros bandwagon anytime you like, my friend. Yeah, you guys keep winning World Series, so at some point uh, maybe I need to switch. Uh, but uh, memories of uh, 2017 and uh, – Signs being stolen and the Yankees not going to the World Series uh, still loom very large in my head. So no, For sure, for sure. Noah Freire joining us here on Crunch Time. Again, he was on the play-by-play call for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Noah, appreciate your time. As always, enjoy a great weekend of college softball, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, Matt, always a privilege, and uh, look forward to uh, getting back on the show in the, in the weeks ahead. And there he goes, Noah Freire from the Sunbelt Conference. 5-14 now on your Tuesday. The Houston Astros again getting a 6-4 win last night over the Cubs thanks to a two-run homer from Alex Bregman. They are back in Minute Maid Park tonight to face the Cubbies once again. A 7-10 first pitch. 6-40 pregame. For the Astros, it's going to be Christian Javier, 3-1 on the season with a 3.47 ERA. 46 innings pitched so far on the season. He'll face Justin Still, a 6-0 record with a 1.82 ERA. He has struck out 39 on the season. Real quickly, James, though, Game 1 of the NBA playoffs starts tonight. But you know what else is tonight in terms of the NBA? It's the draft lottery, a.k.a. the Victor Wimbenyana sweepstakes. It's basically what it is this year. Look, the Pelicans are in it. Their <laughs> odds, however, not that great. They're they're just they're not great. Hit me with it. Just give it to me straight. The Pelicans have the lowest lottery odds at 0.5%. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! Yeah, baby. So <laughs> there, there is a chance. However, are the Pelicans more than likely just going to get slotted 14th? Yeah. Yeah. Could they get a top 10 pick? Yeah. It's possible. Of course it is. Uh, they're at a 2.5% chance for it to be a top 10 pick. So the odds are not in their favor. But (laughs) crazier things have happened, like in 2019. The Pelicans just had a 6% chance of getting the number one pick, and they did. Now, 6 and 0.5, drastically different. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to like they're they're in the same neighborhood. But man, the Pelicans could break the system again. Could you imagine Zion Williamson and Victor Wembanyama? Nope. 
Jay, no, no, <laughs> no. You just you think that there's no possible way that the Pelicans. I mean, there's definitely a chance, but if you told me to make a bet, I'm not. I'm not taking the Pelicans. To, I'm gonna to laugh. give Victor Wabanyana. I'm gonna laugh in your face. Please do it, because if they do, if the, if happens. the Pelicans get the number one pick, I'd be ecstatic for the Pelicans. I'm going to laugh in your face. Until they find a new way to, but here's what's going to be aggravating. Here's what's going to be aggravating: Detroit, Houston, and San Antonio have the three highest odds of the number one pick. Let's say Detroit gets it, so they will now have Cade Cunningham and Victor Wembanyama. The rebuild is on, folks. Oh, not to mention Jaden Ivey as well. At that point. You need better veteran presence. For sure. You For need, sure. You need guys to lead the young bucks and show them how to win because all they do all they know how to do is just ball. They don't know how to win. But please for the love of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, do not give the number 1 overall pick to either Houston or San Antonio. Cuz I do not want to face Victor Wembanyama 8 times a year. Just don't. I do not want that man being in the same division as the New Orleans Pelicans. So please, baby Jesus, don't make it happen. 518 on your Tuesday. We'll take a timeout. We return. We'll talk McNeese. We'll preview LSU and McNeese tonight at Alex Box Stadium. And then at 530 to the moon with our guy Brett Chancy right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app and it is now your one-stop shop for all things Southwest Louisiana sports station. Download the free mobile app today for Apple or Android devices by searching the game Southwest Louisiana. That way, no matter where you are, you can listen to the game. It's Southwest Louisiana sports station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time here on the game. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Phone line is wide open this segment if you want to jump in. Getting ready to get underway at Alex Box Stadium this evening. A 6.30 first pitch between the number 5 ranked LSU Tigers and the McNeese Cowboys. This game pits two of our local schools together. So, let's do a preview of both of these teams. Look, when you look at the overall series between LSU and McNeese, it's 32 and 12, with LSU winning 14 of the last 17. LSU started off that 17 game stretch by winning 11 straight, but the teams have split the past two meetings. Uh, LSU defeating, or McNeese defeating LSU 2 0 back in 2019 over at Alex Box Stadium. This is going to be a really good opportunity for both teams, in my opinion, James. I think this gives McNeese the opportunity to tune themselves up once again before the Southland Conference Tournament. 
And then I think that this gives LSU an opportunity, if they seize it, to pick yourself back up. To have a get right game. If you seize the opportunity, and that's no disrespect to McNeese, it's not. McNeese has had a hell of a season under Justin Hill. They're a great baseball team. But you're talking about one of the best programs in the country. There's a scale here. And that scale favors LSU. If LSU comes out and plays the way that they are supposed to play, I would not be surprised to see this be a 11-5 contest. It's an opportunity for LSU to get some confidence, get back on the right track before they head to Georgia. Because they're leaving for Georgia tomorrow because they play Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and very early on Thursday and Friday as well. 5 o'clock first pitch here in Acadiana, which means pregame show beginning at 4.30 on both of those days. But again, you know, when you look at LSU over the last two weekends, their pitching has really, really let them down. I'm curious to see how they handle the pitching rotation tonight. Uh, Is tonight a Johnny Holstaff approach where you kind of get everybody opportunities to, to get on the mound and get their arm in some game action? Or do you turn this game over to somebody you trust? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Jay Johnson is going to do from that perspective. But look, I've said it for weeks now. You know what you're going to get out of Paul Skeens. You know what you're going to get out of Ty Floyd. Christian Little, up and down. He has great games, and then he has games where... He's just not so great. But then anybody else in the bullpen, Nate Ackenhausen, Thatcher Hurd, Blake Money, Micah Bucknam, the other night Gavin Gidry, you just don't know what you're going to get. And I think that inconsistency is going to be a major problem for LSU over the next couple of weeks when you get into the SEC tournament and you get into regionals. Because look, we we talked about this yesterday. When you get into a regional postseason situation and you have the potential to play four to five games in a weekend, you will need pitching. And you're going to need a lot of it. Because Paul Skeens is not going to be able to pitch twice for you. Unless you severely limit him. Now, if he throws 50 pitches on Friday then he could probably come back on Sunday. But you're going to have to play that. And you're going to have to figure out how you can work that situation. Because look, you look at the offense, it's there. It works. Tommy White's hitting 445. He's got 13 homers. Or Dylan Cruz, excuse me, 445, 13 homers, 55 RBIs. Tommy White, 396, 18 homers, 84 RBIs. Jared Jones has 45 RBIs. Jordan Thompson has 41. Dre Morgan has 38. You've got offense all the way around. But it's the pitching. Paul Skeens has a 1.7 ERA as a starter. 
Ty Floyd, 4.53. Christian Little, 6.96. Your guys in the bullpen that have made the biggest contributions for you, a Blake Money, a Riley Cooper, a Thatcher Hurd. Thatcher Hurd's at a 7.07 ERA. Riley Cooper's at a 5.93 ERA. Sam Dutton is at a 5.87 ERA. Like, that's just not going to work when you get deep into the postseason. It's just not. I also feel like trying to bring back Paul Skeens again for Sunday would not work out either. It will. Because, because here's the thing. If you're going for, say, 50 pitches on Friday and you get them to go long enough, like let's say it somehow gets you four innings, which it, it could. It could. It could. It's possible. Five would be a stretch. Yeah. But it's like, if you go back to Sunday, if it's between the ears for the pitchers, for the rest of the guys at that point, you're send, you would be sending a sign like, hey, if you're Jay Johnson, you'd basically be sending a sign, I have no trust in the rest of you at that point. If you're br- trying to bring back Paul again for Sunday. That's the thing. So it's like if you're trying to like get their confidence back and like show them, hey, I still believe in you and like we still need you to like be effective for us if we want to win a national championship, you can't try and go back to Skeens for a second time in a weekend series. I don't disagree with you, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's what LSU does. If you do that, that shows that you have all the desperation you've given up on the rest of your pitchers. I'll, I'll flip the question. Have the rest of your pitchers shown you a reason to trust them? No, they haven't. Thank you very much. But if you still gotta, have, you still gotta sh- have faith of it for sure, for sure. Because like once you do that, if you go to Paul Skeens again, it's over. But I think, and and I don't disagree with your stance. Because I could very well see how it sends that message. But at the same time, it could also send the message of, look, you haven't been good. You need to be better. I need to whip myself back into shape. Correct. Right. Like, it could be... So it's either going to motivate you... Or it absolutely crushes you. What type of player are you? And that's when it comes down to the coach's decision to be like, do I know my guys well enough that they will respond the right way if I were to go with that decision. Jay Johnson's got some interesting decisions to make over the next couple of weeks because if if this pitching staff does not get better, the back end of it at least, uh, they're they're going they're going to be in some trouble in, in the postseason. I, I can't see this pitching staff getting them out of a regional. Certainly can't see them adv- advancing this team to Omaha, but. That's neither here or there at this point in time. Coming up on 531, once again, that game, 630 tonight between LSU and McNeese at Alex Box Stadium pregame set for 6 o'clock. James, it's it's time to go to the moon, but before we do that, I want to get your thoughts on this Cubs-Astros game. Uh, Coming off of a win last night, Alex Bregman hits a two-run homer. Jordan Alvarez has nine homers already on the season. 
Look, when you look at the injury report for the Astros, it's getting smaller and smaller, and it's getting more positive. Jose Altuve is in the lineup for Corpus Christi tonight, which means that he is in a rehab assignment, which is huge. Michael Brantley is due back any day now for the Astros. Uh, Lance McCullers Jr. is now on the 15-day IL, which is a positive step in the right direction. The injuries are getting less and less, and they're closer to coming back. Correct, and I'd probably say Brantley would be back next weekend at that point. I could see him for the next weekend series. Yeah, I, I could I, I could see that as well. I've also heard some rumors that, that he could be back as early as this weekend. He could be back this coming weekend. Mm-hmm. It just kind of um, depends on how ready is he to get back into action. Because you could also use just next week's series as a warm-up and then get into the weekend series and hopefully he'll be more of himself. Because this weekend, you're home against Oakland. Oakland's not good. Right. I think it would be a good opportunity to... To warm you know, up then. Maybe maybe give him a pinch hit or, or something. You mm-hmm. know, just get give him some, type, some of type of opportunity. Uh, and then just slowly work himself back in from there. But uh, 7-10 tonight, 7-10 tomorrow against the Cubs before they welcome in the Oakland A's for a three-game set. But let's go to the moon after this timeout. Brett Chancy, host of Locked On Astros, he will join us to talk about the win last night and preview tonight's game for the Astros right here on the game. Fly me to the moon. That's driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking up. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Minkas and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is To the Moon on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. 537 to the moon time on a Tuesday talking about the Houston Astros. Typically, it's either Apollo Dez or, or Brian Lima from our friends over at Apollo HOU. But today we figured we would do an even more special edition of To the Moon with our guy Brett Chancy, host of Locked On Astros. You know him on our website as H-Town Wheelhouse. Brett, what's going on, man? How are you? Man, I'm doing good. You know, I'm, I'm excited because uh, last night's game was a really good win for the team, and hoping we can take a couple of other games from the Cubs before uh, we welcome in the lowly Las Vegas Lowlands. I'm sorry, Oakland A's. So, looking at last night's game, a 6-4 win for the Astros. Alex Bregman obviously getting the storyline with his two-run home run in the seventh. Uh, but you also had some good play in the first. The Astros jumped out to an early 4 nothing lead there with a two-run double from Jose Abreu and then the single to get Abreu home by Jeremy Pena and then a McCormick double scored Pena. Uh, just kind of talk about this game from start to finish and how crucial of a win this was for the Astros. Well, you know, Framber came out of the box. I mean, just, just throwing bullets, throwing darts over the plate and getting four of his first batters by way of strikeout. So you thought, okay, Framber's cruising. Maybe he'll take kind of a no-hit bid into four or five innings. And the Astros put up that four spot to really kind of get things settled in. But you wondered, was this going to be another game where the Astros put up a crooked number in one inning, but then just the bats disappear in the other innings? That's kind of been typical of this offense where prior to this game, they've been averaging – 
three runs a game over the last six games prior to that. And so they put the four spot up, and then things went a little cuckoo in that third or fourth inning when, um, gosh, you know, Morales hitting it, hitting out of his mind right now. I think he's got like four home runs in the last six games. He's just hitting the cover off the ball. He's a guy you want to walk right now with the Cubs. They just come back and even up. But this team has lacked the ability or shown the ability to come back once they fall behind. And once Framber left the game, the relief pitcher had Anthony Framber, we got your back. And they came in and they did an admirable job. Um, you had Martinez, you had, uh, gosh, Montero, who's been struggling. You had Maton before that. And then at the end of the, at the end of, at the back end, you had Chris, you had a, you had a, sorry, you had Ryan Stanek come in. Ryan Stanek, five swings and misses he induced where Framber Valdez had induced 11. So he induced half of that in a three strikeout inning. But Bregman getting that home run, even with a ball that was only, I think, out in six ballparks out of the 30, that's why we love the home field advantage. And I think that's a second home run at Minute Maid Park this year. So let's say that this is a game where Abreu turns a corner and Bregman turns a corner because before that at bat, he hit a ball against the wall, which almost went out. He almost had a two-home-run game via the Crawford boxes. So it was nice to see the Astros come back, pick up their starting pitcher, the relief pitcher shut it down, and the offense do what they needed to do where you had four players get multi-hit games. Can we talk about the young bucks on the pitching mound? I mean, how important have the play of Hunter Brown and J.P. France been for this franchise thus far? You know, that's huge. Hunter Brown is that guy. Hunter Brown has that dog in him to where he wants the ball. And you know coming into this season, there was the pressure of the top 10 rookie of the year talk. He was the top prospect in the Astros' farm system, been much talked about for the last year and a half, had a phenomenal postseason. So how is he going to rebound this year? And then the two injuries to two key starters in Arquiti and Garcia. And then you call on J.P. France. And you go, okay, how's this guy going to do? He grinded out for six years in the minor leagues. What is J.P. going to do? And look, I think they stepped in and they, I mean, J.P. stepped in and done a great job. Hunter Brown has done Hunter Brown things all season long. He, he's maybe had one start and you go, ah, that wasn't a great start. But J.P. France has all the support in the world as the best pitching coach staff, I think, behind him. And back in AAA, they do a phenomenal job preparing them down there. He just looks like he's locked in like he's always been there. And it reminds me of something that that Alex Bregman said about Corey Jolts a couple weeks ago when he first came up. He said, we want guys to come into this clubhouse and play like they deserve to be here. I think that's exactly what J.P. France has done. He said, if I get out of the first inning and I can survive that, I'll be good. And he got those nerves out in that first game. You saw he struggled in the first game. But he has not fallen apart in his first two starts. Very, very good starts by a rookie right-hander out there. It's good to see, and I love that he's getting his first home start tomorrow night in the final game against the Cubs. 
And then, you know, you, you talked about Jose Abreu turning a corner or, or hoping that he turns a corner. What, what do you think's been attributed to him struggling so much early on? You know, it has got to be a mental thing with him because I know you had mentioned Apollo. I know, uh, I know Josh from Apollo had kind of taken two different videos, one from 2020 when he won the MVP and this year. And there doesn't seem to be much in the way of what he's doing or not doing differently other than he just looks more off balance. And I'm wondering if that off balance being out of sync has got to do with the lack of familiarity with his environment, being in one place for nine years. I mean, he started his career in Chicago. He didn't know anywhere else. He had an attachment emotionally, not only to the team, but to the community. I know this guy's getting paid $36 million, but he's still a human being. So that has to have been a part of it. And I'm thinking we're going to see more good results out of him than we've seen lately. And we just maybe have needed to give this guy a little bit more time. And, of course, patience grows thin on the fan base when they know that they've spent a lot of money to get him here. Chatting with Brett Chancy, host of Locked On Astros here for To The Moon. Looking at the injury report, I said it last segment, it's getting smaller and smaller, uh, which is good for the Astros. What's the latest on Michael Brantley? You know, it feels like he could be back any day now. Obviously, Jose Altuve going through a rehab stint in Corpus Christi right now. What's the latest? Now, Michael Brantley, I have not. The the last that I've heard about Michael Brantley, and I even talked about this this morning with RP3, is that, um, you know, they've set out indefinitely. Like, they don't know when he's going to come back. The fear I have with Michael Brantley is if two weeks in AAA hitting inflamed his shoulder, what else is it going to be that's going to inflame his shoulder? So I don't have an official word, and I could probably look it up real quick, but my gut feeling is that I don't know that we're going to see Michael Brantley this season. And I hate to say that, and I don't, I'm not going off of any doctor's report or any official team you know, personnel telling me this. It's just, it's just right now, I want Michael Brantley 100% healthy before he touches the baseball diamond again. And you just wonder, is this shoulder thing for him going to be something that is always going to nag him? So with that being said, moving on to Altuve, I think he's probably going to join the club in Milwaukee. I know he's going down to Corpus. I would think that they would let him have a few games there. We're going to play Oakland. There's really no need to bring him up against Oakland, a last-place team. Why not let him take the team flight to Milwaukee to join and have his first games against the Brewers? You know, a pretty good team up there. And then I I just heard today Lance McCullers, uh, he threw 40 pitches. He said he's looking to hit the mound against some live hitting soon, and Lance McCullers is feeling really good. So those are – We've got we've got good things coming our way. Um, I, I just with Michael Brantley, I don't know. Um, I would like to say, yeah, he'll he'll be back next week, but they kept moving the date back, and once he started playing, boom, his shoulders inflamed. Each individual is different with that shoulder injury. Some guys it affects them long term. Some guys they have surgery, they get over it. I just don't know if the 36 year old Brantley. Have we seen him in the Astros uniform for a last time? Will he come in and hit? 300 plus and help them and contribute to the playoffs 
we just don't know right now. Looking at the farm system, you know, Drew Gilbert has just absolutely skyrocketed his way through the system. Now at Corpus Christi, just 21 games into the season. Another guy that's having a lot of success in Corpus Christi is Spencer Aragetti, Astros prospect of the week for the second week in a row. Uh, talk about those two guys and just how quickly they could get to Houston. You know, Spencer Aragetti, I you know, I think he might have he, he would probably to me be an arrival next season um because of where he's at. But you know, this kid's got a lot of promise. He keeps wowing the wowing the scouts. He he keeps, you know, the imagination is wide open with the Houston Astros with this guy. He um he's just he's just done very good. Drew Gilbert some people are like, will this guy come up during this 2023 season? And I think both of these guys, although it wouldn't be completely out of the picture for them to maybe make an appearance this year, I think they're more, I think we need to look at them more for 2024 and not necessarily 2023 because Arigetti's got to move up into AAA. And you even saw Hunter Brown needed that season in AAA to really get things figured out and focused. And once they get that guy ready, Spencer Arigetti's probably going to be a pitcher that will have a spot in the have a future spot in this rotation. Brett Chancy, host of Locked On Astros, joining us here for To the Moon. Brett, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the series against Oakland this weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. And uh, we appreciate everyone in Southeast Louisiana, our listeners out there. Just check us out on YouTube tonight. We'll be live post-game. So come check us out. There he goes, Brett Chancy, host of Locked on Astros. Check out their great work. Subscribe to their YouTube channel. Subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're at it. We'll take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. I want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're low on cash. The Game Rewards Club can help. Head to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for your chance to score a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But the only way you can win either one of those is by joining the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 555. We're wrapping up today's show. As a reminder, go vote on our poll question of the day. Who is in your NBA finals? Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. Draft lottery tonight. Victor Wimbignana sweepstakes. Uh, Big news for the four-letter network. The Pat McAfee show going to ESPN in in a rather large move. Uh, Pat McAfee says that ESPN has agreed to let him retain full creative control for the show. Typically, 
ESPN would have some sort of say in, in how that goes, but apparently not with the Pat McAfee show. Also, Rangers top prospect Kumar Rocker is has announced that he will be having Tommy John surgery and will miss at least a year. Uh, quick sports or MLB scoreboard update. The Angels lead the Orioles 1-0. The Tigers over the Pirates 2-0 currently. 0-0 between Washington and Miami. Some big games tonight. New York, Toronto, Seattle, Boston, and of course the Houston Astros and the Chicago Cubs. LSU and McNeese tonight as well before a big weekend series with Georgia to wrap up the SEC season. Uh, McNeese softball headed to Washington for the Seattle Regional this weekend. Of course, LSU and Louisiana in Baton Rouge at Tiger Park. That series getting underway Friday at 2 o'clock when Louisiana faces off against Omaha. James, the Pelicans stay at 14 tonight? I'll say they get 12. And who wins out of the Lakers and Nuggets game one? Give me the Nuggets. I say the Lakers are going to get 10 and give me the Lakers. I said the Lakers are going to get 10. No, the, the Pelicans, Pelicans are going to get 10 okay. and give me the Lakers in game one. I want to thank our guests, Jay Walker, Noah Freire, and Brett Chancy. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Migas. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow, 4-6, to six, right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Let's send it now to Alex Box Stadium and the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair.